Welcome to the Hearers and Doers podcast. I'm Becky Kaiser, and I'll be the host for this show. Do you need a space where you can show up just as you are? This is your place. Dry shampoo, crying kids, messy house, and barking dogs are all welcome here. Do you need a cheerleader who sees all your amazing potential and unique ways God's called and created you? Done, I'm signing up as captain. I'm a certified life coach and Bible teacher with decades of experience who isn't afraid to tell you the truth you need to hear. Some weeks I'll be sharing practical and encouraging and sometimes correcting shows, and other weeks I'll be introducing you to new and old friends. You ready? Let's go, my friend. Sharon, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It is so, I was just saying before we started, it's fun to see your face because we have been email and social media friends for probably three years, but I don't think we've ever had like an actual conversation together before. So thank you for being here today. I'm excited. It feels like this isn't the first time. I think because of that, I feel like I know you. Yes. Yes. I know. Same, same. Okay. I want for anyone who doesn't know you, which they'll get all the links ladies in the show notes, you'll have the links to go follow her website, her on Instagram. Cause you, especially after this conversation are going to want to connect with Sharon. Sharon, why don't you tell us a little bit about your life? What do you spend your days doing and who do you spend that with? I live in Durham, North Carolina with my husband, Ike, and our three kids who are 10, 8, and 5. We've got two boys and a girl, and they are very fun, very loud. We don't Mm -hmm. have any true introverts in our family. Like nobody is really quiet. Yeah, everyone's real. (laughs) My, My daughter, she kind of, I think because of the pandemic, she was two when everything shut yeah. down. And so she sort of lost that skill set. She had it before that skill set for how to in, interact with new people. And so she presents as shy, but then yeah. as soon as you get to know her, there's this polar opposite side of her yeah. where she yells at everyone and tells us what to do. And I constantly have to tell her, you can't speak to me that way. So she's very spicy, (laughs) but also she's very, very cute. So we've got two boys and a girl. And then my husband and I, we lead a church together called Bright City Church. And we planted in 2018. And so that was a year and a half before everything shut down. So that has been a, a journey. And then yeah. on top of all of that, I am also an author. And so I've written three books and I travel and speak and our lives are very full, but yeah. in really joyful ways. Yeah. Yeah. That's so fun. My, my girls are 12, 10 and turning eight in a couple of weeks. So we have some overlap in those ages. And I would describe my third almost identically of it is those third kids, there's something like fire about them because they've just had different parents in many ways than the other two had, because you're like, I just don't care. I don't know. Like all the things that were so important with your first, all of a sudden just don't matter as much. Well, our third being a girl, being the only girl, Mm -hmm. she and my husband have a very special relationship and it's overall like very, very sweet and very, very cute. But she kind of has him wrapped around her finger. And so we're getting to an age now where he's, you know, having to say no more. 
And oh, no. that has been a really interesting dynamic to watch uh-huh. just the like betrayal in her eyes, <laughs> you know, <laughs> when he when says no. We're on the same team. It uh-huh. was us against the world. Yeah, there was, we have this like unspoken contract that you have just violated. So that has been really entertaining. <laughs> that is hilarious. That age is so fun and fiery. Um, I love following you on social media for a couple of reasons. One, the pictures of your kids are always adorable. Of course, your little girl is just like, she's an American girl doll. She's so just perfectly beautiful. It's so Aww. cute, but I really love Sharon, how you, you're, you're so bold in a very non-dramatic way. Like you're not ever trying to stir up conflict or put people against each other in camps, but you really speak boldly and truthfully. And I can tell with great intention in the words that you're saying online. Um, And recently you shared, it was actually just this past weekend, as we're discussing now, it was just this past weekend. You said, it is important to understand that you will have tremendous opportunities come your way that you must say no to for integrity's sake. And almost no one will ever know. Can you share a little bit more what you were thinking when you posted that? And also, I'd love to hear what are some opportunities you've had to say no to so that you could say yes to the things that's calling you in? Yeah. So that particular post, it was addressed to authors and preachers and influencers And I think what actually inspired it was not anything bad. I think what what actually inspired it, I was reading this random story. This Mm -hmm. is so random. It was a random story about Chris Pratt. (laughs) Okay. Love it. (laughs) And it was about how when his director, I think for Gardens of the Galaxy, I'm, I'm going to get this wrong. If yeah, yeah. I, if yes. my husband is listening, he's probably like, that's not right. So disappointed. Um, you yeah. His director or something was temporarily fired over some controversial tweets from his past and had just gone into this really dark place and had said that during that time, Chris Pratt had sent him Bible verses and sermons to like encourage him and lift his spirits yeah. during that time. And it was something that he just did quietly and privately and that nobody mm-hmm. knew about. And it got me thinking how I know a lot of Christian leaders like that who are behind the scenes quietly mm-hmm. encouraging others yeah. in, in ways yeah. that will never be fanfared or, or mm-hmm. seen publicly at all. Mm-hmm. But then you know how your your brain sort of jumps like a little monkey from tree to yes. tree. And so yes. I then that got me to thinking about also another flip side of integrity is not just the good things that we do for one another, but the opportunities that we turn down. And mm-hmm. there have been a handful of opportunities for me. I know the same is true of, of other authors, of other speakers, yeah. where we have had the opportunities to go into spaces or to work with people that we knew this is a problem. Mm-hmm. This space that I'm being invited into, if I walk into this space, I can legitimize it. You know, I can spiritualize mm-hmm. it. I can say, 
well, if I'm here, then I can try and redeem this. But I know Mm -hmm. if I work with this person or with these people that all my friends of color, for example, Mm -hmm. will feel unseen and ignored. Mm -hmm. And so in, in situations like that, choosing not to go into those spaces because I I want to care well for people that have maybe been hurt by those people. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's hard because it really, there isn't a one size fits all because there are maybe, I mean, obviously Jesus was with sinners, you know, obviously Mm -hmm. Jesus was with mixed company. He spent time with people that the Pharisees were like, how could you be seen with this person? And so Jesus obviously sets this precedent of having friends and and having company of, you know, all sorts of stripes. Mm -hmm. But for me, and, and I, and that was kind of where I went with it is to say, you know, know what your own boundaries are now. Yeah. So that when you are faced with those opportunities, you're not tempted to spiritualize it in a way that is Mm -hmm. actually really personally compromising. And what, what I think we end up unintentionally doing is giving our name to people Mm -hmm. and conferences or platforms that further legitimize something that really needs to be scrutinized. Yeah. So, so we're actually what we can unintentionally do is enable dysfunction in the church. And so this is going to play out in a lot of different ways, but I think Mm -hmm. it's important to know if you have any leadership at all, that you're going to be faced with this. And if you feel lonely because you know, you need to say no, you're not alone. You're not actually Mm -hmm. alone. This is a very important part of being a leader with integrity. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's true for everyone, not just the author speaker who might be listening, but for the mom who's involved in PTO and for the lawyer and the doctor and the teacher and the nurse. I think that's a lesson, Sharon, that really applies to everyone. And I think in our culture of social media, where you see the highlight reel of everyone's life it's hard to not want to be a part of every opportunity you're given because you think, well, this moves me along to the next step in my career, the next space for our family or whatever it may be. And so I think we, we say yes so quickly to things because we fear if we don't say yes to this opportunity, what might happen as a result or what might not happen for us. Um, so I think that's really good advice for everyone to take. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, oh. you know, the, the ways that we spend, I could do a lot of good with that money, you know, mm-hmm. never mind that the way I came by it was shady. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 But we think, well, yes. I, I could do a lot of good with it. You know, that, yes. that's how we deceive ourselves. Well, so- yes. Christians are really great at, um, justifying choices. Like we know exactly what label to put on things so that it's all of a sudden a very holy act. And so knowing, especially when you're right now, when you're thinking clearly and the temptation isn't right in front of you, that that's when you need to know who do I want to be? Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And recalculate right now. I'm kind of in that open handed space again of just laying, I've, I've taken on a lot of 
um, new, I do a lot of coaching and consulting in addition to some ministry work and ministry stuff is growing and I have a book coming out. And just recently it has been like, all of it is too much and some things have to give. And so I'm in that space right now too of, Lord, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what needs to go. Each day it's getting a little bit more clear, but I think it's never too late to either turn around if you've gone the wrong way or to just ask God, okay, I need you to like Siri me and recalculate this path because um, sometimes we just get off track or we're not off track. We haven't done something that was deceitful, but it is time to then turn and go in a new direction and not being afraid of that, even if it doesn't seem as lucrative or fun as where, where you might be going. Okay. So speaking of opportunities, Sharon, you are teaching with Beth Moore. (laughs) You are sharing a stage and an entire event. Like she does not do this. She doesn't do, this is the first time she's done something like this. And on the event, it says, Living Proof Live with Beth Moore and Sharon. Like your picture is with her. Tell me how this happened. Tell me how you felt about it. Are you just like completely freaking out over this thing? Oh yeah. So the way it came about, I've I've been more online friends with Beth mm-hmm. for a few years now. And yeah. she's been really encouraging and supportive and someone that I can reach out to if I need advice. And that has been a huge gift in and of itself. But I'm trying to think now, it was probably close to a year ago now that I, the timing of it was just the kindness of God to me Mm. because it happened on a day where I had had just a horrible, I was having a horrible week in Mm. pastoring and Mm. I was so discouraged. And Mm. I, that actual day I had spent a lot of the day crying. I was, I was Mm. just so discouraged and in a lot of pain. And then I get this message from Beth and she said, it was really funny because she said, I want to run something by you. Feel free to say no. <laughs> like, okay. And she, she said, yeah, we're, we want to invite younger voices to share the stage at our living proof events. And I was wondering if you would be willing to speak at one of these events. And again, she was like, if you, if you're not interested, like, like no pressure, but just know, I really respect you as a preacher. Yeah. And you know, that was the easiest decision I've made in my Uh, entire life. Yeah. Yeah, Like I have to think (laughs) about it, but I sat, they know to this. But yeah. No. yeah, so, but I sat there and honestly, I mean, it was a um, dream come true because I, the sweetness of it too, is that Beth Moore was the first woman I ever really saw preach the gospel with yeah. power and authority. I'd seen women yeah. teach before, but she, she really unlocked something in me where yeah. I, the first time I saw her, it was at a passion conference and mm-hmm. I thought, 
I could do that, you know, n- mm-hmm. not like her. I'm not like her in so many right. ways. I'm not this Texas woman with, you know, yes. luscious hair yes. and, you know, perfectly manicured nails and all that. Yes. But I, what, what spoke to me was she was preaching in all of her womanhood. Like she was preaching, mm-hmm. I grew up Presbyterian. And so I grew up yeah. seeing women with very, very short haircuts and they yeah. were robes and collars. And it was because when I was, when I was a kid, the conventional wisdom for women in leadership is that you need to be like a man. Right. And so I was used to seeing, I hadn't thought about that before that even in the denominations that have allowed women into the leadership, they still are modeled to be like men. Mm-hmm. Wow. I yeah. Never thought and that. so, and that's, there's so many studies on the importance of role models being relatable mm-hmm. and competent mm-hmm. and things like that. And I just could not relate to those women at all. There was nothing about it that was appealing to me. I couldn't see myself in them. Yeah. And so when I saw Beth preaching as a woman, and the funny thing is, I don't think she would have even called it preaching back then, Yeah, but yeah. It, it really unlocked something in me. And it was, it was a life-changing experience seeing her mm-hmm. preach. And so mm-hmm. for this full circle to come around where she's now inviting me to share her stage was just unimaginable. It was surreal, but then the timing of it on a day when I was so discouraged and Mm -hmm. broken. And Mm -hmm. I just, in that moment, as happy as I was, all I could think about was this is God's kindness to me. Mm. God is, this is his way of saying, I see you. I've not forgotten you keep going. And I, it lifted my spirit so Mm. much in the Lord, honestly, on that Mm. day. And so I'm, I'm really excited. I am not nervous right now. We'll see as I get closer, but it's, um, it's a dream come true. So I'm really excited. That's, That's amazing that, yeah, I love how the Lord, like how you said, that's what I kept thinking when you were sharing, like he saw her, like the Lord saw her and and when we like wrestle with that tension of why does God allow these hard terrible things to happen to us and even if you hadn't been in that hard tender spot you could have gotten like when she got that email you could have just been so enraptured with OMG Beth Moore just like asked me to speak with her which would have been a completely acceptable and appropriate response But in that moment, it wasn't that Beth saw you and that Beth called you out, but it was the Lord saying, right. I see you. Mm -hmm. I have plans and a purpose for you. Um, I have goosebumps just thinking about that for you. That's, that's so fun to see, to hear the story and the context from where you're at with it. And when I saw it, Sharon, I was like, because I followed Beth for years and years. And when I saw that, I was like, she chose the perfect person like you you, that she saw your gift for teaching your ability to communicate effectively authentically and boldly to women in this generation I was just like yes yes so I was so happy for you friend okay I have a really funny Beth Moore story do you want to hear it yes well, I don't know if it's really funny. I actually have a few funny Beth Moore stories, but this this will be the the one I can share today. Uh, 
So I became a Christian at 16 in Houston, Texas, and I went to a Methodist church when I was at my dad's house on the weekend. My mom was atheist, so we didn't do church. So I was kind of like you where I um, only knew women, church people, they wore the big robes, just like the pastor. I mean, when you said that, I was like, that's right. They did have the robes. They had the shorter hair. Like it was very manlike. Um, anyway, (laughs) when I, so I became a Christian at 16 and a lot of my friends went to Houston's first Baptist because our high school was kind of associated with that school and Houston's first is where Beth taught Sunday school, but I had no reference for Christian culture because my family wasn't like Uber Christian. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when I went, I knew nothing of her that first year, but my senior year, I was like looking, I had heard about this women's Bible study class that met on Sundays. And so I was like, Oh, I'm going to check that out. That sounds awesome. And so I went and I was like, she is so great. I mean, I'm 17 years old. She's just amazing. And I'm taking notes. And then I realized our church bookstore that she had made Bible studies. And I just thought it was so cute that our church bookstore sold her little Bible studies And then I went to Lifeway. I didn't know Lifeway was a national store at the time. I was like, oh my goodness, this Lifeway has my my study school teachers, Bible studies too. All of this, I'm just like, I loved my Bible study teacher because she was amazing. I went off to college. I would still like drive home like every couple of months and I'd gather all the cassette. They gave out cassette tapes if you missed a week. So I'd have my like eight cassette tapes every other month listening to the her sessions. And then one day I was a freshman at a I was on campus and I was doing one of her studies and a friend said, oh, which Beth Moore study are you doing? I was like, how do you know Beth Moore? And she was like, <laughs> she's Beth Moore. And I was like, what do you mean? And that's like when she told me that Beth Moore was like international best Christian women's everything. I had, Sharon, I had no clue. I thought she was just my Sunday school teacher. Uh, <laughs> I thought it was so cute. Our bookstore sold her workbooks. That's really that funny? sweet. I bet she had no clue. Story too. Yes, a no clue. No clue. Um, okay, the next question I have for you is so people see things like you're leading this church and you're sharing a stage with Beth Moore. And we all do that. Like we look at other people's lives and we think. They're, they're doing it well. They're doing it right. They have it all together. I mean, you just share that you actually have hard days when you were telling the story about that day with Beth. Um, I don't believe that women can do it all. I don't believe in the idea of balance. I just don't think it's possible. Um, and you do a lot of amazing things. So how, how would you respond to women when they're like, Sharon, how do you do it all? How do you how do you have a book and a ministry and you're preaching with your husband running a church and you have these three kids and now you're sharing a state and you're traveling all over. What is your response? How do you, how do you make all this happen? Mm-hmm. Well, I have a lot of help. That's a big part of it. My parents are very, very involved. They're actually in the middle of moving here. I grew up in Charlotte but they're moving, they're closing on their house next week. And so they're moving here, but uh, they've had an apartment here. And so they're very, very involved. We're very close with my parents. We're really fortunate. My mother-in-law also lives pretty close by. She's about 45 minutes away. And so if we have, you know, 
something where we just need emergency childcare, we can call my mm-hmm. mother-in-law. She's also awesome. And so mm-hmm. we're, we're just very fortunate. Not everyone gets along with their in-laws and, yeah. and we all get along really, really well. And so my, my, and then my husband's father is no longer living. And so my kids are very, very close to their grandparents. And, and that's a huge part of it. My husband is also very supportive. He really believes in my gifts as much as his own. And so he mm-hmm. is a huge advocate. He's going to make a way for me to be gone and be fully present and that he's going to be with the kids. But then on top of all that is we say no to a lot. Our our lives are pretty simple. We, up until this year, our kids were not involved in any extracurriculars. My oldest is now in swimming. And so he does that twice a week. But other than that, nothing. And mm-hmm. that will probably change as, as the kids get older. But our yeah. family time we are very, very protective of it, especially because it's not just when, when you're pastoring a church, it's not just that your schedule is full, but it's full of heavy things. Mm. And so you are carrying very heavy things. And, and because of that, your emotional bandwidth is significantly decreased just by the work that you do. And so Mm -hmm. we have to really guard that we're still giving our first and best to our, our children and and for Mm -hmm. me and my husband to win another. And so a lot of our evenings is just us hanging out together as a family and not much more. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and then I also have boundaries on how often I travel. So I had a pretty full, 2023, I traveled more than normal. And so I ended up, I I typically travel once or twice a month. And then I try not to be gone on Sundays, but I was gone a bunch of Sundays this calendar year. And so I ended up blocking out May entirely. So I'm not traveling at all this month. And as of now, I don't think I'm traveling any in June either. And so we really try to pace ourselves with Mm -hmm. travel. Um, Yeah. So, so that's some of what we have done. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, and I feel like that's, we all need to consider that more when we get on social media and we see all the things. So as a speaker, we might share somebody's posted their schedule and they're at one to two places a week all over the U S it could be as a speaker, you could be like, Oh my goodness, I'm not booking enough or I'm not doing this enough. Or as a mom, you might see somebody else doing this or somebody getting promoted or somebody getting a new car. And we we constantly see what other people have going on that's good. And we forget, we have no clue what sacrifices have had to be made for that or what else they're juggling or who's supporting them. Because every time you go to speak, you're not posting a picture of your parents or your mother-in-law saying, headed out the doors. My mom's taking care of the kids this weekend for me because what mom has time to take a picture in that moment, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? Um, so I love, I love that you, you shared all that. We all need help in doing that. Um, I do you, when you read books, do you do audio or do you read paper? I primarily do audio just because okay. of my stage of life. I don't have, yes. if I'm sitting still for more than 15 minutes, I am asleep. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I'm a big like everyone car. can relate to that. If I'm doing, yes. you know, cleaning the house, mowing the lawn, I'm listening to either yes. a podcast or an audiobook. Yes, same. I never did audiobooks until this past summer because I'm just like so old school of like, I want to hold the paper and I want to smell the pages. Like, I love that paper experience. And a friend told me this summer, just try one book on audio. And now I'm like, my husband's like, you, cause he's like that Dave Ramsey tracker type person with finances. And he's like, you know, your membership only includes this many. And I'm like, I've read more in the past six months than I have read in the past six years because yeah. of audiobooks, you can just crank through yeah, them you can can in like a day up. or two. Yeah. It's amazing. amazing. Uh, but one of the books I read, one thing I'm trying to do um, recently, the past few months is read books that friends have written in the past that I never had a chance to read per the crazy season of young children. And one of your books was The Cost of Control. And it was so good and very helpful. Like as I was reading through it, I was just like, this is the book that needed to come out post-COVID. Like we needed, because people who didn't struggle with anxiety now do struggle with anxiety and stress. So the book, I'm going to read just the subtitle too, so everyone kind of knows a little bit, but it's called The Cost of Control, Why We Crave It, The Anxiety It Gives Us, and The Real Power God Promises. Why did you write this book? What was your like hope for the book? And how have you seen it help people? So as you mentioned, the pandemic was a huge inspiration for it. And I still kick myself about that a little bit because when everything shut down, I was like, I'm not going to write a pandemic book. I'm not going to write a pandemic book. <laughs> and then I wrote a pandemic book, but I was, I was watching what happened was I write about this some in the beginning is when everything shut down, I was watching how the people in our church were responding. I was watching how mm -hmm. Christians online were responding. And like any trial, mm -hmm. the pandemic, what it did was expose what was already there. You know, the, the pandemic didn't necessarily make us anxious. It just exposed what we were already resting in for security. Mm -hmm. And it was fascinating to me to see our total inability to cope with uncertainty and mm -hmm. unpredictability and the ways that we tried to reassert certainty and predictability mm -hmm. in, in the face of this massive loss of control. Yeah. And that's when I, I, I just saw so many responses that I could see this is a control response. This is about control. And so that really got me thinking about how are we forming people? Like, why is this such an idol for, for Christians in America? But I'm also someone who anytime I teach, whether I'm writing or whether I'm preaching, I'm not someone who wants to stand over everyone else and wag my finger and say, this mm -hmm. is, this is what you have gotten wrong. That, that to me yeah. lacks a lot of authority, honestly. Yeah. My, my best yeah. teaching comes from conviction over my own sin. Yeah. And so that somewhere along the way, I, I thought, well, maybe I need to examine this idol 
in my own heart, because I would have never mm-hmm. said I struggle with control. I would have never, yeah. like, in all the interviews I've done about this book, a lot of people will say, when, when did you know you're a control freak? And I always say, I didn't, I, I would have never yeah. described myself that way. Mm-hmm. But through the process of researching this and, and understanding that this is an issue that every single human being struggles with because it was written into the blueprint of humanity in Genesis 3. As, as soon as we defied God's will and chose our own instead, that became a temptation that we would be doomed to reenact again and again and again. That's essentially what happens in Genesis 3 is this this will to control Mm-hmm. And so as soon as I realized that it, it really changed the filter of how I saw a lot of things in my life. So for example, as I mentioned, my husband and I, we lead a church together and yeah. whenever we disagree on the direction of the church on, on some big decision, I go into persuasion mode, you mm-hmm. know, and, and I'm very strong with my words. And so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I know how to pitch this and I know how to argue my perspective and I know how to yeah. essentially get my way. And I've always thought, well, it's just because, you know, I'm, I'm really persuasive, but, but really mm-hmm. this was about control. And, and I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't manipulating him necessarily. I wasn't being passive aggressive, but, but this was about control Similarly, I write about in the book how I, when we were shut down and we were at home with the kids and I felt very out of control because our, our kids Mm -hmm. were so loud, our house was chaos. And so the way that I tried to subdue my children was by raising my voice. Like if they're going to be loud, I'm going to be louder. Mm -hmm. And again, this was actually about control. I'm I'm thinking I'm just louder than them. Like, you know, more dominant with the volume of my voice than mm-hmm. I can subdue them. And I was really trying to control them. And mm-hmm. so I saw this play out in, in so many different ways as I was writing the book. But honestly, some of the biggest ways that I struggle with control, I still was blind to even while I was writing it. It wasn't until after the book even released that God, again, in his kindness, I, I think he knew this was a message I really needed revealed some pretty, pretty big deal stuff that I was wrestling with in the area of control. And, And the thing that was so helpful about this message is that I've always known that I shouldn't control. Like, like if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you know, okay, I shouldn't control, should let go and let God, you know, I should trust, I should (laughs) surrender, but that had never been helpful to me. Like in the middle of it, just knowing you shouldn't do something that, that is not helpful to me at all. Right. But knowing why that is helpful. Mm-hmm. And this book was my why that whenever you try to control something that God is not giving you to control, it always comes with a cost and there is no loophole. It is, yeah. it is a rule because again, Genesis three as soon as they reach for control, massive brokenness. And mm-hmm. that, that relationship is tied inextricably. We can't mm-hmm. escape it. 
And so mm -hmm. that has been so helpful to me whenever I, I realize, oh, I'm controlling this is, is then realizing and it will cost me or it will cost my mental health or it will cost my marriage or it will cost my relationship with my kids. That was motivating. <laughs> that was motivating. And yeah. so it's been a really helpful journey in a lot of ways. Yeah. I, I would truly and genuinely, not just because I really like you, recommend this book to other people because I would have never, I would have never categorized myself as someone who deals with anxiety. And I would, like you, I can be very um, manipulative when not in the right space, persuasive when in a better space with my words. And so I would convince myself that me trying to control situations was for the good of the situations. Yeah. And, and we've like, I knew better around like the ways we, we self deceive, like yes. the ways that yes. we spin things is I'm not controlling this. This is just what is right. Yeah. They should know. And this is helping them or helping mm -hmm. this. And it's, it's a mess. Anyway, your book was so good. I loved how you balanced it with encouragement, authenticity, but you also had a lot of science in there too. Did you have to do a lot of research for this book? Like, I, I felt like there was a lot of facts and science in that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I tried to. I mean, I, whenever I'm especially writing about psychological concepts, mm -hmm. I want to make sure, A, that I'm staying in my lane. You know, I don't yeah, ever want to yeah. be presenting myself as having the knowledge and experience and authority of a licensed counselor when I do not, I'm a pastor, yeah. but at right. the same time, I also really want to know what I'm talking about and, and what these terms mean. And yeah. I, I use this phrase in, in the book, but when I was working on my PhD, my advisor used to always say all truth is God's truth. And mm -hmm. there's a lot, especially in the humanities, there's so mm -hmm much that they have discovered that we wouldn't necessarily call spiritual truths, but all truth is God's truth. And so yeah. I really love digging into psychology and, and sociology mm -hmm. and seeing, you know, what are the things that, that they have discovered that really enrich our understanding of the world that mm -hmm. God has created. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's not, it's not an, it's not academic, you know, in its level of research, but I, I did want to make sure everything I was saying was actually legit. <laughs> <laughs> not just one of your good ideas. Uh -huh. I, I appreciate, I'm not like science and I don't like reading things that are academic, but it was, it was like enough where it helped show, okay, this is, this is actually a valid concept because I, I really like reading things on psychology that are secular because like you said, all truth is God's truth. And I think sometimes as Christians, we say, well, I don't want to get into the science because I, I don't know it's, or when we're dealing with psychology, things of the Holy Spirit's my great counselor. I don't need counseling, which I think everyone needs counseling. Um, so anyways, I, I really appreciated how you merged that. We are very close to needing to wrap up, but I had one more question that some of the things you just referenced that I wanted to ask you. So you said you had your PhD. Why, Sharon, don't you call yourself on all your books, Dr. Sharon Miller, Sharon Miller, PhD? Why is that not on there? 
So I'm a little bit old school about the use of that title. So the the traditional way of using that that doctor title is you use it in your field where you earn that degree in. That's the context in which you would go by a doctor. So for instance, yeah. if I was teaching at a university, I would it would be appropriate for people to call me Dr. Miller. Similarly, okay. uh, your your doctor, your general physician, if when they go to church, people don't call them Dr. So-and-so, you know, people just okay. call them by, by their name. But if they're in their doctor's office and you call them doctor. And so because I'm not in the academy, I'm just, you know, a pastor, I don't, to me, it's not the right setting for it, but, but also I don't ever want people to feel like that's a relational barrier in some way. Like I, I also want to just okay. feel acceptable, but it is funny because I accessible, but I, um, it is funny because it's something that I didn't used to even list it in my bio yeah. and a number of people pushed me on it and said, no, you know, you, people need to know you have a PhD not yeah. for you, but for other women to see that this is yeah. an option available to them. Yes. And so I do list it in some of my social media bios, but I just, I feel, I tell you what, being a pastor is so grounding. I mean, I think that's even why you, when you said that my, on social media, I'm bold, but not dramatic. And I think it's because I'm pastoring in an actual context where if I am dramatic, I have to, that impacts my community. Right. And so there, there's a lot about pastoring that keeps you, your feet firmly planted mm. on the ground. And so even mm. just saying like Sharon Miller, PhD feels so. <laughs> I really, yeah. Like I pretentious just, call Sharon, just call me Sharon, you know? So <laughs> Okay, well, I will challenge you on your next book, maybe that you don't say doctor, you don't have to say Dr. Sharon. But what if you said Sharon Miller, comma, PhD? Yeah. Yeah. Because I need to look and see what other, I need to see what other, other, but you're likely going to look and see and you're not going to find it. Yeah. Because women don't, be, what man on planet Earth? wouldn't wouldn't say on the book cover dr mm -hmm. bob yeah. miller because that <laughs> gives him an authority and he'll take it without hesitation yeah yeah and your 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 doctorate according to your bio is women and calling so every book you write is technically in that field mm -hmm. like if you were at a university and it does you are so relatable that it's never going to make you unrelatable to add that. It gives you authority. Like Brene mm -hmm. Brown, she's not a psychologist. She's a sociologist. But because mm -hmm. she has authority in her field and understanding in her field, mm -hmm. I love learning from her because I know you're way smarter than me simply based off of how much you've studied to get to where you are. You're not just somebody who's good at teaching or preaching you actually have something backing you in education. Yeah. Well, I will, I will take it into consideration. You'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take that. 
I'll take it. I won't push any further. Um, okay, we are going to wrap up, but I have a couple of questions. This podcast is called Hearers and Doers. It's based on James 122, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. So as we wrap up, I have a couple of questions. And while the, it's based on a verse, which is spiritual, your answers do not have to be spiritual. The first one is, is there something you are hearing right now that you're really loving? This could be like an audiobook or a song mm-hmm. or something well, your friend one, said. So one app that I tell everybody out about, and I wish they would rebrand it because it, it really doesn't capture what the experience is, but have you heard of the pray as you go app? No. So it's, I, I think it's created by, oh, I'm blanking on which particular monastic order, but it's essentially like a Lectio Divina format where they, it starts out, it's 12 minutes long every day. It starts out with music, which is tends to be quiet and meditative. Then they read a passage of scripture. Then they ask you just a, a couple, very simple, but honestly, they're always profoundly insightful and self-searching. Like there was one yesterday mm-hmm. where it was talking about where Jesus says, my peace, I, I give you. And they were saying how he spoke this at the end of his life when he's facing his death and, and Jesus isn't peaceful at all. And so the, the question was how, if, if Jesus is not in a place of peace, can he offer peace to other people? And I still don't know the answer to that question. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. Um, good to ponder. Yeah, and so they ask just a couple of questions like that, and then they read the passage again, and then they give you a little bit of space to pray, and that's about it. And so I, I love this app. It really is perfect. It's, it's like an oasis in my day. And so mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of that. And then the other thing that I always mention all the time, which is not spiritual at all, is that I love Disney po- podcasts. <laughs> Disney podcast. Disney podcast. Just like the Disney, they, I didn't even know they have a pod. It's like interviewing people or what do they do? Yeah. I mean, they're not they're not by Disney, they're about Disney. And so, mm. and there's a lot of them. There's, okay. Oh, so like, you like any podcast that's Disney related? Yeah. So there was one that I really love. It used to be called the Imagineering Podcast and it just rebranded as the Imagination Skyway, I think. But they would interview a lot of Imagineers, like the people that design the parks or, okay. or other. Um, and, and there's a num- there's one called Beyond the Mouse. There's one called Connecting with Walt. And some of them go into the history of the company, things like that. But I'm a big, Dis- I'm a Disney adult. And so those are also, <laughs> and, and I'm uh, an Enneagram 7. And so that is my, like, if I want to, if I want to escape what is happening in reality uh-huh. I listen to my Disney podcast. Although I've, I've had to really be careful about that because sometimes what I really need is not to listen to a Disney podcast, but actually <laughs> listen to scripture. Right. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, sometimes I really... we just don't make what the best choice for ourselves and that's totally fine. Yes. You so just pick that, up- I, for any Disney fans, 
there are a plethora of podcasts is what I'm hearing. That is so fun to know about you. I would have never, I didn't know you were Enneagram 7 either. That's super mm-hmm. fun. Um, I have Enneagram 7 Envy. I really want to be an Enneagram 7, but I'm an Enneagram 3. Mm-hmm. And I, my friend even, I actually, my friend even gave me, for my birthday, gave me a candle. There's apparently candles you can buy that have are like specifically scented for each num each um enneagram number and she gave me an enneagram seven so she's like when you just want to feel like a seven you can light your candle what does it smell like i mean i don't know that's it smells awesome is it like <laughs> no, floral? Just, this or one is like no fruity it's more like fruity i guess it's fruity and fun <laughs> it smells like if you were to have a party at the beach, oh. it's not like super tropical. Okay. You're I don't know. I guess I'm going to have to find it and send it to you now. Enneagram okay. seven candle. So okay. I, I light it whenever I'm wanting to feel more fun okay. and not so productive. Okay. Last question. Is there anything you've been doing lately that you'd recommend? So recently someone told me that if you work with your mind, you should Sabbath with your hands. And then Hmm. flip side, if you work with your hands, you should Sabbath with your mind. And so I really love yard work and like mowing the lawn and being outside and like getting my hands dirty. I'm not a gardener at all. So don't like mistake that as thinking if you come to our house, there's going to be these gorgeous flower beds or vegetables or something because there will not be But I really do love being out in the yard and finishing, like mowing the lawn and it looks really beautiful. Yeah. And so that has been a very simple restorative (laughs) practice for me (laughs) is yard. Mow your lawn. (laughs) You might be an adult when. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, seriously. Right. (laughs) That's awesome. I'm the same way. I love I love my hands being dirty. I don't like wearing gloves when I'm doing yard work because I just, I want to like feel it all. I love like trimming back the rose bushes and then they bloom soon. Like it's a whole process. I'm constantly having to buy new things because I'm not good at it, but I so enjoy it so mm-hmm. much. So it's the same. If if you come on the month that I plant things, our yard does look fantastic. If you come two months later in the middle of Houston summer, I have a hundred percent not kept up with it. Just slowly throw things away every other week. Awesome. Well, thank you, Sharon, for taking the time to chat today. Is there, what is the best way if somebody wants to be like, oh my goodness, I loved getting to hear from Sharon. I'd love to connect with her. Just keep in touch with her. Where do you hang out the most and where can they find out more about you? I am most active on Instagram. So just Sharon H. Miller. Cool. And we'll link all that. We'll link your link to the books. We'll link to your website. And then of course, Instagram as well. Sharon, thank you so much for being here today. It's been fun. James 122 in the ESV says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Or the message translation says it even more bluntly. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you are a listener when you are anything but. Letting the word go in one ear and out the other. Act on what you hear. This podcast is called Hearers and Doers because that's the kind of people we are committing to becoming. Women are men who choose to not just hear what is true, 
but actually live it out in our day-to-day lives. I'd love to hear your big takeaways from today's episode. Would you share them? Post them on social media and be sure to tag me at Becky Kaiser. And if you love today's episode, don't forget to give it an awesome review because that helps others find the show too. And you can always text the link to friends so they don't miss it either. Hope you have an awesome rest of your day, my friend. Love you so.